Thank you. Oh my gosh, Thank you, you guys win the prize of being the nicest people in the world. And I think we should just have the announcements continue. This is just about announcements. This was fabulous. I thought the worship put me over the top. Right. Then the announcements came. That was, that was just beyond it. So I am Karen's trophy husband. Yes, he is. I'm the trophy husband. I did well, didn't and, I? Thank you. That's right. And, and I we, married up. And we have been married 14,239 days today. So, uh, on Friday, on Friday, that's going to be 39 years. Now, so, this is, so this is what happens when you get married at age 12. Okay? <laughs> or maybe We're also liars. We got married in Texas, maybe. You know, we've heard, we've heard it's a long-term marriage in Hollywood if you make it to the reception. Yeah, so. yeah. So we're doing really well. <laughs> well we, we, met at, we met at USC, where Karen was uh, producing a, a show called Pippin, and I showed up to be the music director for her show, and I saved her show. No, you didn't. I gave him his first job. He didn't. But, he hasn't even thanked me for it. <laughs> well, I'm thanking you now. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, we, so, uh, so we had a platonic relationship for six years. I thought you said we've had a platonic relationship. <laughs> no. No, because we have two children. We have two boys that are... Uh, they have two boys. Uh, and, and they are both in the industry as well. Some of you know them. Uh, uh, so we had a platonic relationship. And then one day, Karen picked me up from the airport. airport from and the I Air said, Force. From, from the airport. From the airport. And I said, Karen, I missed you. We are you. not going to get through today. I don't I, think we're going to get through I, I, I missed you while I was gone. Thank like, you. Like a friend. Just like a friend. And I missed you too, like a friend. Right. And then it was all different. My hands started sweating. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've known this, this guy six years and something has changed. Something is different. So I dropped him off at home. I went home. I called him immediately and said, we have to talk. And of course, I love men. But he said, oh yeah? Oh yeah, what, what are we going to talk about, Karen? Oh, uh, what? <laughs> my first studio was over in Hollywood and Highland Boulevard. So she came over to the studio and we walked around Hollywood and Highland Boulevard deciding that we were falling in like... But I did not want to have a boyfriend because I can't make chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I mean, if you have a girlfriend, you have to take her out every night and call her and all this kind of stuff. And so... Now, we, we talked every day anyway, you know. We did. Yeah. yeah. So we decided very, very logically, very maturely at our age, we would put it on hold for six months. And in six months, we'd decide if we still like each other. So we thought, this is a good plan. We're going to keep going with our lives. However, we didn't realize that three months before this conversation, we had bought two round-trip tickets to Hawaii together. Yeah. So we were visiting a friend from college. We were staying with he and his parents. And we, two, three months later, we went off on our trip and blew it. Well, no, we did, well, we did not blow it. No, we didn't blow it. I mean, no, not that way. Not that way. <laughs> <laughs> we... Wait, wait, no. We did not sleep together before we got married. Karen. I didn't mean that. Well, it sounded that way. So we went, the first day, the first day we went, it's so embarrassing to do this from your parents. This is taking way too long. I'm sorry. The first day we went to the beach, we fell asleep on the beach, and I woke up and I said, I'm afraid this is going to wreck it because we had such a great friendship. And, and I said, I'm afraid you're going to wreck it too. And so I kissed her, and that night we talked about getting married. So. So that was it. You, you, so you can meet somebody in Los Angeles. You can get married. 
you can raise children here and you can be in the industry and we've been doing it for that long. Now, I want to point out, that doesn't mean we were not broke for a long time. Yeah. Okay, so not everything works out perfectly, but God keeps us stronger. And that's what we want to talk about today. We just read a book that we want to recommend to all of you by a pastor named Mark Batterson, who is out of a national community church in Washington, D.C. He's very cool. Their church meets in a theater and when they got the opportunity to buy a building, they didn't buy a church, they bought a coffee shop. And they have, it's called Ebenezer's, it's the biggest coffee shop in Washington, D.C. It's right across from the Capitol. It's an amazing ministry. And we read a book, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And we just want to tell you a few things. He just speaks our language. Everything we've been living for and talking about and believing for the last decades we feel like, has just someone else said, yes, this is right? So we're very excited about it. And we were talking to Tommy about it, which, by the way, I have to stop. Is Tommy Martinson the coolest guy in the world? Right. <laughs> let's, take a special, let's take a special offering for Tommy right now. <laughs> I like the way, I don't want any clothes, any money for his clothes. I like the way he dresses, just the okay, way it right, is. Okay. Yeah. So this is what we want to do today. We want to get you guys in a mindset. Whatever you do, wherever you work, wherever you live, there are two kinds of Christians. There are the kind of Christians that are seat fillers. You know, they kind of sit there and then they get a certificate of participation when they get to heaven. Then there are the missional-minded Christians who want to make an eternal difference, who want to make this world better when they leave than when they came. They want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are in a church that believes that, right? Aren't you guys that? So we want to give you some perspective of what we see. And what we like to do is have the mindset all the time that we are missionaries in Los Angeles, which is the world's most influential mission field, and we are here to be Jesus to people. And it's really a fun journey. If anybody doesn't want to be a Christian because they think it's boring, you got to tell them. They, they are, they're missing it. They really are. So we today are going to walk through quickly well, how we discovered years ago in our church, we're a very mission-minded church where we send people out to be missionaries all over the world, and then we send emissaries to go visit them. And they take pictures, and they come back, and they tell how cool it is and how they live on, you know, beans and rice and, and change the world. So <laughs> that's a good way to eat. So we want to tell you about our lives as missionaries. Um, let's go to, let's, should we just go to the, let's go, Al, Alex? I'll say the next slide. Okay. There we go. Okay. We started the uh, Hollywood Prayer Network because we truly believe that if we bring the Lord, invite him into Hollywood, it can touch the entire planet. Because if you pray for people, you can't hate them. So every day, every day of uh, 14,239 days, Karen and I have prayed together as a couple. When people say so that we the... don't hate each other, no, <laughs> <laughs> what the people say, what's the key to your marriage? And I say, prayer is the center of it our is. marriage. 
It is, absolutely. If you, if you pray for someone, you can't hate them. If you are married and you don't pray together every day, today is the first day you're going to start, okay? Yeah. It absolutely changes everything. And it's not some big revelation and thunder. It's building a really solid foundation that just keeps you steady when everything around you is falling apart. You don't ever go wrong by doing that. It really is great. Okay, Alex, next slide. Here we go. All right, so our church uh, in, Lake at, uh, in Pasadena, we would send out people uh, every year to visit missionaries around the globe. And we discovered that like, there's a lot of parallels between sending people into a foreign mission field and sending people to this mission field. Uh, our people are, these are the Maasai people. We call our people the Duliwa people. That's Hollywood spelled backwards. So we're talking about the Duliwa people compared to the Maasai people. So. We want to introduce you to Mr. and Mrs. Maasai. When our friends, Lisa and Byron, went to the Maasai tribe, they came back and, just, and told us what they learned about these people. And we kept saying, well, that's just like people in Hollywood. I mean, what's the difference? Mr. and Mrs. Maasai, they have their own language that they speak. They have their own traditions. They have their own forms of worship, their own gods that they worship. They have, Mr. Maasai may have four or five wives, but they're polygamous, and so you don't go in and start trying to uh, pull out the structure of a society. You have to touch their hearts. And they realized that when they walked into those people, they didn't go in to try to change them. They came in with love to let the Holy Spirit touch them with his love. Okay, Alex. <laughs> this, is what our, this is what our tribe looks like. It looks like Giorgio and Stephanie Armani. What separates man from beast is the ability to accessorize. It's all about the accessories. So when we talk to college kids that are, that are coming in to maybe to be in the industry, we say it's very important to understand who these people are, what makes them tick. Uh, these people, uh, the Maasai people have gods they worship. These people have gods they worship. Of course, they worship the Oscar God. We're going to celebrate that in two weeks. The Oscar God, the Emmy God. Uh, the Grammy God, the, Grammy. the Tony God. They're, they're all gold-plated statues. Right. Uh, but there's a very important God that, that some of you, this, these are the important gods. The God of the personalized parking space. That's a big God. The God of the sc private school that your kids go to. That's a big God. Not that we're trying to imitate them, but we have to understand what makes them tick. Why do they respond to? Also, this man is going to have three or four wives also. Not at the same time, but he's going to have three or four wives probably. Do you know there are two vocations in our world that have the highest divorce rate? Uh, police and military and entertainment. So we're in a land where there are broken relationships. And how ironic that it's in an in a industry of communication. Just, it's just hard. It but, pulls people apart. But we are living the rom-com here, right? Okay. <laughs> Alex? <laughs> this is the main watering hole in Messiland. This is where all the people gather. It's the only shade within miles. It's where the, the parents get together. The kids play here. They have business meetings. When they don't have anything to do, they come under this tree. They do this because they need to get together in a community. When our friends Lisa and Byron came there, they didn't come there by writing letters, by dumping things. They sat under this tree with the people and built relationships. And one time, Lisa just started bringing her Bible, and people wondered, what is that? And she started opening it, and soon she was leading a Bible study under this tree. 
It was just offering their lives and their love to these people. Alex? This is the tree we this is the tree we worship under. This is the Aroma Cafe. How many people under Aroma? All right. Aroma Cafe. This is where we have our meetings. Uh, this this is where life happens for us. Uh, it, it's location, location, location. For you, decades, Jerry Bruckheimer would come here at six in the morning and have and have church before he went to the office because this is where he gathered with people before going to work. It's all building community and being with people. We go to this this Aroma Cafe. Everybody's writing a script, pitching a story, working on some project, memorizing lines. It's just the way it is. And you want to go and be there with the people who are in your community. I came out of the back patio there one time, and there was a couple having a really graphic sexual conversation. I thought, this is really inappropriate. And I looked down like, oh, they're rehearsing a scene. I get it. I get it. Alex? <laughs> Okay, this is the main drag in Maasai land. This is where our friends had to bring a four-wheel drive vehicle to get around the terrain. When they got there, they were warned by other Christians. It's a dangerous place to live. There is malaria. There are thieves on the road. There are wild animals. It's just so rustic. It's so hard. And yet, they knew that's where God wanted them to be. So they came there. They brought their truck. And it may take them four or five hours to drive through the terrain to get to the, the chief of the tribe they want to meet with to share their faith. And when they get there, the chief had moved on because they're a very nomadic tribe. They follow the cattle, they need to have grass for the cattle, and they just go with the flow. Alex? <laughs> and this is where we go to meet the tribal chief. Uh, we, we travel four or five hours down the LA freeway system, and the tribal chief we wanna meet with at the Paramount tribe has moved to the Sony tribe, because they're very nomadic. They've only got about three ideas, and they keep trying to shuffle those same graphic novel ideas around. They're, constantly on the move. And that's why it's important for us to understand, okay, they're nomads, we have to love them for who they are. It's, it's, it is a tribe, every, every tribe is different. Uh, now in our family, there's a producer, there's a composer, we had an actor, and we had and a, we writer had a writer. and a director, and, and, yeah. right, we had, So we had all those things, and all of them were different. Uh, the, the, the youngest who was an actress, I was just like, he cried every single day of his life, I think. And so we had to be treated him differently. Now, for me, that's like the orchestra. The orchestra. Because when I stand in front of the orchestra, to my left are the first violins. And the room is too cold, it's too hot, the economy's bad. And we can only work 50 minutes, and then we have to take a break. Okay, so I got to treat the first violins different. Back in the backs is the, is the rhythm section. Now, the rhythm section, they can play all day. You know why they can play all day? Because they're stoned. Man, Jim, we just started, man. Why are we taking a break, man? Really, what's the deal? So I have to treat the first violence different than I treat the rhythm section. And that's the same thing in our community. They're all different. We have to understand them. We have to love them differently and with different ways. And so what we want to do is embrace the people around us, not complain about them. We want to love the people, not point out what's wrong with them. We want to be so obviously, lovingly different that people are attracted to us without us saying anything. There is a great saying, preach the Bible at all times, and if necessary, use words. That is powerful, and it comes with a loving heart. It comes with, oh, I don't want to be in LA. That's not going to get you anywhere. 
I'm in LA because God wants me here and darn it, I don't care about the taxes and the prices. I am going to embrace it and love these people and make an eternal difference. Alex? <laughs> so I had a friend of mine make a wooden sign and I put it up above my door of my office and every time I walk into Hollywood outside my office, I remember that I am entering my mission field. And I'll tell you how that changes my brain. I either have my, I am a producer, I have a list of everything I need to do every day and I want to get through that list and I want to be productive. And when I see that sign, I go, oh, okay. If somebody comes up to me and needs to talk, I have to stop. If there's a need here or I can serve somebody, I gotta stop. I have to take time I don't think I have to give to somebody else and then miraculously, God multiplies my time. On days where I get to reach out and serve and love other people, I don't get behind at the end of the day. It's the days that I'm trying to get through everything myself is when at the end I'm like, oh, what did I do today? It's ironic and it's miraculous, but that also means it's not about me. Yeah. It's about God. And if we just keep our eyes on him, the opportunities are endless that he brings to us. Alex. This is a great verse from Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. As you are carried into exile into Babylon or Hollywood from Jerusalem, build houses, plant a state, plant, uh, plant gardens, eat the food they produce, marry, have children, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. We have failed in that. I know. Multiply, do not dwindle away. Well, I, I have failed. It's my, it's my fault. Okay, it's your fault. Go ahead. Okay. But they're 27 and 32. They're available. Okay. Uh, uh, remember, to, remember to like and subscribe after we're done. Okay. And then this is We the, are reading scripture. I'm sorry. 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 <laughs> well, like and subscribe to the Bible. There we go. All right. Now, this is the important part. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I've carried you. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's why we're here. Even if you're here for a short time, put down roots. Get to know people. Love the people around you. Really commit to praying for the people around you. Do you know that years ago it hit me, the most unbelievable thing is what if we are the first person to pray for somebody? There are people that go through their whole life and nobody prayed for them. We can pray for our neighbor. We can pray for a coworker. We can pray for somebody around us. And can you imagine that you're the first one to do that? I just think that's cool. And you know what? Don't worry about it. You'll find out in heaven. You did a great thing. God will tell you about it then. We don't need to know about all the great things we're doing while we're here. Just do it because we know it's right. So here we are on Missions Sunday. This is a funny Mission Sunday, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but so uh, I think for us to stay on point for our mission is what's crucial. And I think missionaries have to take risks. We are taking a big risk by coming here and doing this because it's just, it's just the, the, the odds are too big. It's too great. Uh, there was, a, there was a, a young missionary and his wife that were coming from England and they were going to, I believe, the, the Fiji Islands. Fijians. And um, they, they were, at that point, they, they were, it was a tribe of cannibals on this island and they knew that that's what they were going into. And the, and the captain on the boat said, I can't, I can't let you off here because they're just gonna, you're gonna get off there, they're gonna eat you. And he said, you know what? 
we're going because God has called us and that's what we're doing. And he, and he, tells, he told the captain, he says, you've got to understand we're already dead. We're already dead. So he gets off the boat. First thing he does, he has to bury like 30 missionaries that have already died before him because they've already been eaten. And then he spends the next 30 or 40 years converting the island. And it, it, it never was cannibal again because of them. If any of you saw Band of Brothers, there's a beautiful scene in one of the first episodes where there's a young soldier scared to death in a foxhole, just shaking. He can't even get out. And a superior comes up to him, and he's the, he said, what's wrong, soldier? And he said, I, 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 can't even, I can't even get out. He said, what makes you keep going? And the superior said, you got to understand, I'm already dead. We are to live as Christ, to die is gain. If we're afraid of, of protecting our lives, we're not living for Jesus. We should be dead to ourselves. We should consider ourselves dead already and alive to Christ who is eternal. And then you can take any risk you want. Uh, I say coming to LA is like the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan meets Groundhog's Day. <laughs> That's what's coming to LA is like. Private Ryan meets Groundhog's Day. And you've got to be, you've just got to be ready to jump off and get off that boat. And, and there's going to be bloody bodies around you. We see that every day. People leave and they, they go away. They, they, they come for a short while. And that's just what we have. We have to have that mindset. I'm already dead. I'm going to get a hat that says I'm already dead. Uh, uh, or zombies for Jesus. I'm not sure. <laughs> Something like that. I'm already dead. That's where we're going. So the first thing we want is for you to really seek God for a mission statement. Why are you here? Why are you doing what you do? Why are you in this city? Why does God have you in this place, in that apartment, on that street, in this city, working that job and meeting those people? When you find out the why, it expands into something bigger than you can ever imagine. And if you find out the why, then you see how he's created you to be a missionary in the world's most influential mission field. And that's an honor and a privilege. You know, we all said goodbye to people during the pandemic, right? It was like a mass exodus out of L.A. We are the remnant. We're the ones left behind. We have work to do. This is amazing to be a part of this city now. And we get a chance to make a difference in a way that maybe you haven't thought about before. So seek a mission field, a mission statement with the Lord. Lord, tell me why I'm here. And once you answer that why, then honestly, you have a freedom to say no to things that don't fit into that mission statement. You don't need to say yes to everything. We don't want good, we want great. Say no to the good because you know the great is within that mission statement. Alex. <laughs> Laugh every time, uh, uh, Alex. Thank uh, community is critical. This is because that, and this is such a great community here. It's so so very important. I talk a lot of, about the Inklings. The Inklings were a group of of um, really geeky people that got together at Oxford. It was J.R. Tolkien, uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, Charles Williams, uh, Hugo Dyson. Uh, there were some women there. Dorothy. Dorothy Sayers. They got together, and on Tuesday. On Tuesdays, they would drink and smoke at the Eagle and Child. And then on Thursday nights, they would get together and they would kind of tear each other's manuscripts up uh, apart. And they became a very uh, impactful group. They if were we, a writer's group. They were a writer's group. Uh, they were in community. 
Um, if you don't have community, you just cannot do this alone. It's so incredibly crucial. Uh, so actually, uh, this is on my website under community, jamescovell.com, like and subscribe, Co uh, community. Um, and this, there's a podcast from Tim Keller talking about the power of the Inklings and what they did. First off, <clears throat> they, had a, they had a concept of how their faith integrated with their art. They knew that art was the best way to influence culture. They knew they had to have a community. And fourthly, they did it because it brought them joy, not because they wanted to be influencers. That's why, that's why you're here, okay? So that's what, that's what that talk about. It has to be in community. And community is so important because you'll lose your vision if you don't have it. There are also three ways that the enemy attacks us. And it attacks people in this city so specifically. And the only way to combat it is community. The first way he gets us is with isolation. There, this is a city full of lonely people. The second thing is discouragement. We get so discouraged, we want to give up. And the third thing is fear. Fear is a killer. Do you know that fear trumps every other emotion? You can't love fully if you're afraid. You can't give fully. You can't think rationally. It absolutely takes over everything. So if you want to fight isolation, discouragement, and fear, get in community. So in a, pit on a, uh, in a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day is about uh, uh, one of David's mighty men that literally chases a lion uh, into the pit and, and single-handedly kills the lion, and it's on a snowy day, it's in a pit. It's just all these things that, that make up being fearless. And one of the quotes from Mark's book is, um, lion chasers don't retreat, they attack. Lion chasers aren't reactors, they're creators. Lion chasers refuse to live their lives in a defensive posture. They are actively looking for ways to make a difference. We want to be lion chasers. And I, I realized that this morning, it's two things. We want to chase lions. We want to chase our fears. We want to chase people that could be threats to us. We want to chase anything that could get in the way of us living out our lives fully. We also want to chase God, who is a lion. It's both things at once. If we are lion chasers, we don't have any fear. We're already dead to ourselves. We have nothing to worry about, and we have God with us because we're chasing after him. You can't lose. Faith, does not, faith doesn't reduce uncertainty. It embraces uncertainty. I think people think, well, if I had enough faith, I could get through this, and it would all become clear. No, you have faith, and it will not become clear at all. You will just keep <laughs> charging and falling forward. It's not going to get clear. It's, it's, uh, so at this point in my career, every day I'm reinventing myself. I'm reinventing myself. I'm re because it's just not, it's not clear. I've been married to 100 men. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing we have to get over fundamentally. Following God does not make life easier. It makes, it makes it more meaningful, more loving, more eternally significant. It ultimately makes it everything that we want. So let's, wor let's not worry about the hard stuff. Oh my gosh, life gets harder. It doesn't get easier. So there's a cultural lie about life. Oh, when I get older, I'll have enough money and I'll kick back and I'll retire. Oh my gosh, if one thing this room could do for us, don't retire. 
gosh, I oh hate that. Oh my god! You, you re tell your parents not to retire either. That's I hate right. that. Tell them to I get over it and keep moving. I'm going to reinvigorate. I'm going to regurgitate. I'm going to reinvest. <laughs> I'm going to. I'm going to re something because we are not our age. We are our energy. Okay? We are not our age. We are our energy. And I, have I like met, that. And I have met third. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle. I have met 30-year-olds that I think, oh, gosh, this, this guy's like 60 years old. He can just barely. <laughs> oh, I worked eight hours today. I, I can barely do it. You, you worked eight hours. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How do you do it? I'm trying not to become an angry old white man, and it's hard, okay? <laughs> Very hard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love that. I never heard that before. That's really good. I just, well, Google it. I don't okay. know. <laughs> great. Oh, my gosh. Okay, here's another exciting thing. Your story was so amazing, going from acid to Jesus. Oh, my gosh. That, that story was yeah, I want to hear more, though. Unbelievable. If we tell our story, we are sharing our faith. We're giving the glory to the Lord. Sharing our faith should be just another part of breathing. It sh and to Christians along with non-Christians. You know what? Preach to the choir. Because the choir is full of really broken, hurting people. We cannot assume it's just some guy on the street. It could be the person right next to you. We have to share our story with people. We have to share our faith with people. I'll tell you a story that has moved Jim and I so much. A dear friend of ours years ago was on staff of crew. She was on campus, and they would literally go out at that point and have little four spiritual laws books that they would talk to people about. She'd go on campus that day and just ask the Lord to lead somebody to her. She, and she found this guy who was alone. So she started sharing her faith with him and saying, would you be interested in hearing just a little bit of what I have here? And he said, sure. So she started going through the pages, talking about how God loved her, how he can help, how God can give this young man freedom. She got to the last page and said, would you like to pray a prayer of asking Jesus to come in and take over your life? And he stopped for a second and he said, yes. Oh, this gets me. He said, but I have to tell you something. Three other people in this last year have come on campus to talk to me. I blew all of them away. The first guy tried to open that book. I said, I'm not interested. The second person got to page one, and I said, I'm done. The third one got almost all the way through, and I just couldn't do it. And last night, I said to God, would you send me one more person? His whole life changed that moment. We may not be that last person. We may be the first person. That person may be just blow you out of their life. Hey, it's not about you. Have an unoffendable heart and say, I spoke truth and it's, that's my job. You may be the second person and you get a little bit into it and then they blow you off and you think, did I say it wrong? Did I do something wrong? It's not about you. Just walk away and say, Lord, I pray for that person. They're on a journey. If you're that last person, there is nothing more thrilling. But it's not that often. So don't wait for that. Be one of those people along the journey. Be somebody who just offers your story so that someone moves one step closer in the process. 
And that's our job. Our job is not to change anybody. Our job is to show up and love people. Uh, that is the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what changes people. And there are kind of basically, going back to the Batterson book, there are two kinds of people in the world. There's complainers and there's worshipers. So this last month, every time one starts complaining, saying, Karen, worship, worship, worship. Worship, worship, that's what you Worship, worship. Okay, so I grew up Catholic. I had Lent. I gave up things for Lent. It was usually totally meaningless and annoying, and it took me like weeks to get through it. Then when I got fully embraced in God's love, then Lent became pretty cool because it was a time of year where I could do something to put something aside to get me closer to the Lord. So this year in our process here, I suddenly went, I am giving up complaining for Lent. So every time she starts to complain, I say, Karen, worship, worship, worship. Worship, worship, worship. So then the other night we were having dinner with a young friend of ours and I, I was telling her what, what I want to do and she said, I want to do that too. I'm going to give up complaining for Lent. So here's my challenge. I have my cards. If you want to give up complaining for Lent, <laughs> you take a card, I'm going to get an email list, and I'm going to stalk you. I guess there are still like 30 days left, right? Yeah, there's there enough 30, time 30, left. 35 days left. Let's break the complaining habit, and let's be worshipers. You guys have the best worship at this church anyway, so why not keep it going during the week? Or you find someone next to you to say, okay, let me know when I'm complaining. Because it becomes so natural, we don't notice it. So I have my, my trophy husband. And I have the Holy Spirit. We got to take the role given to us, you know. <laughs> That's great. And let's not complain. Let's be worshipers. Let's praise God. There's another two kinds of Christians. There are critics and there are creators. Critics and creators. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be creators here. Michelangelo. Michelangelo said, we criticize by creating. We criticize by creating. That's how we change the culture. God's first act is creation. In the beginning, God created. That's why I know that in heaven, we're going to continue to create. Every, it's, and I believe me, we're going to, when we stand there in the presence of God, we're going to say, okay, Lord, I'm ready to create. Here I go. Because my, my other hat's going to say, I can't wait to get started. Because I, I can't wait to get started. You're going to have a lot of hats. A lot of hats. Wear a lot of hats. Um, and I think we're going to say, remember, like, so we're going to look back at Beethoven's ninth and say like, okay, he's got some good tunes. Yeah, he's got some good eyes. You should see what he's doing now. We're going to continue to create because that's God's nature. And for people who are not in the creative arts, we have to create. How do you stop criticizing? People didn't like public school. Somebody created homeschooling. Somebody else created private schools. Somebody doesn't like how something works, they create something different. Somebody is struggling with a disease, what do they do? They help raise money, they're creating a cure. There is anything we can do to create something new instead of complaining about the status quo. Alex. Um, okay, Jeremiah 17, seven through eight says, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He'll be like a tree that's planted up by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. 
It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's what we're called here to do, to be that, to, to, to place our confidence. It's where are you placing your confidence? Our confidence has to be in who God is and who God made us to be. Oh, tell them your Mary story. Yeah. So, uh, I, this was, I was, uh, I had sent my reel over to uh, Mary at Universal, and Mary said, I'd love she to hear your... She was a music supervisor. Music supervisor, so I'd love to hear your stuff. Uh, just send your reel over, and we'll set up a meeting. So I send it over, and then I start the follow-up calls. I'd like to meet with Steve Mary, and the assistant says, oh, I'm sorry, she just stepped out, uh, and they call again. Oh, I'm sorry, she's not... Who's calling? Oh, I'm sorry, she's not here. So after about the fifth call, I realized, I'm not getting a meeting with Mary. <laughs> but I'm thinking, so like, where's my confidence? I said, and so I told the assistant who is Sandy, always make friends with the assistant. This is very important. <laughs> I said to Sandy, I just want to Mary, let Mary know that if she knew who my father was, she probably wouldn't treat me like this. Thanks very much. Now, so I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not talking about my father in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Of course not. <laughs> Five minutes later, Sandy calls back. Mary would like to meet with you tomorrow at 10 o'clock. Is that good? <laughs> sure, yes. I'll have a meeting. I go in and have a meeting. Now, she doesn't dare ask who my father is. <laughs> and of course, my father is a Jewish carpenter and working for a Jew is a good thing in this town. <laughs> it was a lovely meeting. Nothing really ever came out of it, but that's where my confidence was. That's where you have, your confidence is, is the man who, tr who, a tree planted by the water that sends out its root by the stream. That's where our confidence has to be in Jesus. Our confidence is not in ourselves. We will start feeling confident when we put our confidence in God. We'll start loving ourselves more when we love God. We'll start feeling like a whole person when we truly understand that he created us to be just what he wanted us to be. And then we start realizing we can have confidence. And it's also so great. I brought this up before. Don't be offended by people. Don't take it personally if someone says something really stupid, which a lot of people do all the time. In fact, we sometimes do that to each other. We don't mean to, but stupid things come out. Mean things come out. Have you seen kids on the playground in second grade? Oh my gosh, they're horrible to each other. They have no idea what they're doing and these nasty things come out of each other's mouths. It's crazy. But when it's not about us, we can go, wow, I wonder why that person said that. I wonder how they're hurting. I wonder what they need prayer for. They've got to be a mess if they just said that thing to me. And that's what it's about. And then you know what happens, ironically? They look at you and they don't, you don't respond the way they expect you to, and it throws them. I think people want you to get angry at them because that's all they're used to. And when you don't, they're like, well, what just happened? Let's shake people up by responding exactly the opposite of what they expect. It's really fun. And it's just because our confidence is in Jesus. That's all it is. So when you, when you find out people's stories, uh, they, 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 they say offensive things, they do offensive things. But when you find out the story of what their life has been like as they were growing up, you start to have compassion. And this is what we have to do in our work as well. So I was hired one time to work on a show called Headliners and Legends with Matt Lauer. It was a celebrity profile show at MSNBC, and they opened an LA office and brought me in with a bunch of other producers. There were 12 producers that they brought onto this show. 
put us into teams of two and set us off to do a three-month profile of a celebrity. So we would get picked a name, we would start researching, we would interview people, we would build an hour show and turn it in and then start again with somebody else. So I was all excited about this show and I went in, I didn't know anybody in the room except the executive producer who hired me and I thought I was the only Christian in the room. So I sat down and they started talking about who to interview and then when it was time to assign people, they turned to me and this guy next to me named Rick and said, okay, we're gonna start today, Karen and Rick, the first one that MSNBC has approved, you're going to do a profile on Hugh Hefner. <laughs> Hugh Hefner, the guy who started Playboy Bunnies, Playboy Mansion, Playboy Magazine, Playboy Channel. I did not like this man. You were offended. I was offended. All right. But I didn't take it personally. So, so I thought, this man has objectified women. He, is, he believes in everything I don't. I do not want to spend three months what, glorifying this guy? Telling the world how great he is? I was really mad. So I went home and I told Jim, and I said, guess who I got? I got Hugh Hefner. And he looked at me, he said, somebody's gonna do that episode. If it's not you, it's gonna be somebody else. So why don't you do it and do it differently? And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. That was my Holy Spirit voice, Karen. <laughs> do it differently. See, you're not just my trophy husband. Right, right, right. That's right. So I got excited about this and I thought, okay, wow, what can I do? But I have this guy, Rick, in the office I have to work with. So I went back the next morning and I sat down and I said, Rick, I have to tell you the truth. I don't want to do Hugh Hefner. And he looked at me, he goes, neither do I. And I thought, you're a guy. And he said- Sexist. <laughs> Guilty as charged. So. I said to him, so what did you do? And he said, well, I went home last night and I called my pastor. I thought, your pastor? Now, I've been in the business for a while. My first thought was, what kind of pastor? <laughs> so I said, what did he say? And he said, well, he said, Rick, if you don't do this show, somebody else will. So if you don't do it, you've got to do it differently. And I literally, I break out in, in just goosebumps whenever I, I tell this because I looked at him and said, that's exactly what my husband said. Turns out he and I were the only two Christians in the room. The room of 12 producers, we sat next to each other. Everybody else was assigned some cool person and we got Hugh Hefner. So it was clearly a divine appointment. We started praying. And as we prayed, we came up with this understanding, you know what, we're not gonna celebrate what he's accomplished. We're going to find out why he became who he is. If you find out the why, you hear the story. So we started not interviewing all the people he works with, all the celebrities he knows. We went back to family, friends, to, to neighbors, to people who knew him growing up, who knew his parents. We started interviewing all these people and found out the most unbelievable story, but we had to get it from him. So our last interview was Hef. I hired a Christian sound man and cameraman. The four of us got in a car together. Onward Christian and we started That was good. Thank you. That was good.
I'm here till Thursday. <laughs> Boy, you marry your composure and you get your talk scored. Look at that. Dude. So we went up to the we went up to the mansion, which very few people go to. I did not go to the mansion because I already have a bunny. Thank you. My trophy husband. <laughs> so we pull up to the mansion. We pull up next to a boulder. The boulder talks to us. We talk back to the boulder. The gates open. We drive up this amazing drive and it's got yield signs all the way up the drive that say, beware, bunnies at play. He had a zoo license. And so there were peacocks and flamingos and beautiful things. There was a zebra somewhere we didn't see. We pulled up and we parked in this parking lot and walked right into his library. He dedicated his library just to interviews because he averaged 365 interviews a year. He had an interview every day by somebody. So we came in. It was brainless work, by the way. We, they tell us where to put the camera. We don't change any lights. We don't change sound. We don't change decor. We just do what they say. He comes in with this crowd of people. He had some PR people. He had a few bunnies. I think there was a hitman in the back. He had bodyguards. And this whole group comes in and we say, hi, Hef was very nice. Made us feel welcome. We introduced ourselves and sat down. And then Rick asked the first question. So Hef, what was your life like growing up? And literally out of his mouth, he said, well, our family believed in God, but we didn't really have a lot of love in the house. He said, my parents never told my brother or me that they loved us. And he said, my mom had a phobia of germs and she never hugged us or kissed us. He said, the only thing they did is that when I was little, they gave me one thing to show their love. She said, my parents gave me a bunny blanket. It had little bunny rabbits around the outside of the blanket. He said, I loved that blanket. I slept with it. I carried it around during the day. It was the one thing that showed my parents love me. He said, and I always wanted a puppy, but my mom didn't want one because it had germs. So he said, when I was seven years old, I got a tumor in my ear and I had to have surgery. And the doctor told my mom there was a possibility that I would lose my hearing. And he said, I remember a day I was in the hallway looking at my mom, talking to her best friend on the phone. And her friend was trying to talk her into giving me a puppy because I might lose my hearing. And he said, my mom broke down, got a puppy at the pound, brought it into her room she never went to. And I got my first puppy. He said, I fell in love with this dog. In fact, so much so, I gave the puppy my bunny blanket to sleep on. And he said, the puppy only lived five days. They didn't know it was sick. And five days later, he watched his mother take the puppy out of the room. And then in front of him, because of the germs, she burned his bunny blanket. And he looked at this group in total silence and said, I guess I'm still just a little kid looking for love. The rest of the interview went on and he kept telling us things about how he's looking for the love songs where the lyrics are true. He's never found love in any of his friendships or marriages or relationships that were truly satisfying to him. He wanted to find out what was true. He would spend Friday nights for decades bringing his best friends to the Playboy Mansion to watch old romantic movies 
so that he could find some story that filled his heart. He couldn't get enough. It never satisfied him. At the end of the interview, there was total silence in the room. And finally, a PR person stepped out from the group and said, well, this wasn't an interview session. This was a therapy session. And we all started laughing. And then Hef came straight up to us and said, that was my favorite interview ever. He said, no one has ever asked me about my childhood. No one's ever asked me about my personal life. He said, that was fun. I got to talk about my, my life growing up. It was amazing. We left and I wrote him a letter and I said, Hef, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us. I know that you've accomplished everything that man says there is to accomplish, but I think there's one more thing you have to accomplish and that is, you know a living God, but I don't think you've ever met a loving God. And I gave him a book by Ravi Zacharias called Can Man Live Without God? And I stuck it in with the note and I sent it to him and I said, I hope you enjoy this book. And I thought, that's all I can do. Two weeks later, I get a letter back from Hef. Thank you so much for the book. He said, I look forward to reading it. I do have a faith that people may not agree with, but I appreciate this. And I thought, wow, okay, that's it. So three months later was Christmas. I decided to give him a Bible and stamp his name on the front and make it beautiful. <laughs> So I sent it to him for Christmas and said, this is, the, this is how I can show you what means most to me. Thank you so much. And gave it to him for Christmas. I get a letter back. Thank you so much for the book. Now, if you give someone a Bible, very rarely do they thank you for the Bible. They thank you for the gift. They thank you for the book. They thank you for thinking of them. It's like this powerful word that they can't say. It's fascinating. And I thought, wow, how nice of him. That was great. Three months after that, he was at the TV Academy giving a talk, and I wanted to check in with him to see what was going on, how he was. So I brought a friend of mine. We went there, listened to him talk. And then afterwards, I said, let's try to go back. Maybe, maybe he'll remember. I can talk to him. We went to the back. They told him who we were. Oh, my favorite interview. Come on in. I thought, okay, I brought my friend, and we were talking to him, and she said, Hef, you know, I really enjoyed listening to you today, but I think there's something you haven't experienced in life that might be intriguing to you. And he said, what? And she said, I don't think you've ever experienced grace. And he looked at her, and he said, my mother's name was Grace. We left realizing. Now, I had Christians telling me not to do this episode, by the way that if you find out why somebody is who they are, you're going to hear a story that just breaks your heart. I didn't hate him anymore. I felt sorry for him. I realized that he was so brilliant that he could turn the brokenness of a child, became the sex of an, of an adolescent, became the business of an adult, and ended up being an empire, all built on brokenness. That's a lot of stories in our world. We can be the people to break through that brokenness and give hope to somebody who hasn't found it otherwise. We want to we wanna pray for you now. In just a few minutes here. Great. So pray with me. 
I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would impart to you the riches and the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us, his holy ones. I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. We have become his poetry, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he has given each of us because we are joined to Jesus. Even before you were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. And finally, I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all its dimensions. How deeply intimate and far-reaching is his love. How enduring and inclusive it is. Endless love beyond measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. So never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. Lord, we lift up every person in this room. You love each one so deeply, so magnificently. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill us all up new and fresh with your divine, supernatural, unconditional love that we can pour out again on each other and on everyone who we come in contact with. Let us be vessels that never stops pouring out your love, Lord. Use us in ways we never imagined. Let us know that we are missionaries in the world's most influential mission field. Los Angeles is a key city. It's a spiritual battleground, not a playground. And we want to be mighty warriors for you, Lord. We want to be lion chasers. We want to be worshipers, not complainers. We want to be people who love you so much that we don't take anything personally. We want unoffendable hearts because we believe in you so much that we know you are using us every day for your glory. Thank you for that, Lord. Let us go out of this room and make the world a different place when we leave every day. Don't let... Sundays be a mountaintop experience. Let Sundays be the foundation for the rest of the week, Lord. Let us leave here ready to go, keeping our eyes on you, praying for what you have for us that day, remembering that with you all things are possible. And let us love each other so much as this church seems to have no trouble doing so that they will want to know about you because of our love for one another, Lord. Thank you so much. We pray a blessing on each person here. And we know that when we go out, we will see people through your eyes. We will hear what people are saying through your ears. 
and we will respond by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. If you guys could stay standing for a moment. If you could stay standing for just a moment, would you grab the hand of the person next to you for a second? And I'd love, a lot of us are here, and it feels like rather than changing the atmosphere, we're affected by it. And here are two individuals that have walked victoriously and confidently, filled with grace, filled with joy, filled with peace. And I would love to just ask for a, a grace and impartation blessing from you both to flood our lives here. If you could take a moment to just bless us, impart that to us. Lord, you are faithful. You are able to do more than we ask or imagine, Lord. Bless these people. Bless the, hands of the, the work of their hands. Bless their coming in, their going out. Lord, help them to be overflowing with joy. I pray that the, the God of hope will overflow with hope. The Holy Spirit will overflow in their lives, Lord. That you will bless them. You will encourage them. Thank you for their steadfastness, Lord. Thank you that you, it's not an accident you've placed them here in this community at this time. There are no accidents, Lord. You have great things in store for each one, Lord. Bless them. And Lord, we take just the years of walking with you as the authority to commission each of these people to go out as priests, as apostles, as leaders, as witnesses, as children of yours, with the leading of the Holy Spirit to change lives. Lord, we bless them with that authority to go do that. We commission them to take on the leadership that you've given each one in your kingdom to bring your kingdom down from heaven to earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Now we receive that. We thank you, God. Pour out the grace, Holy Spirit, to be in the land, to not hide the light of Jesus, but to be able to live full of you, to shine brightly. We thank you, God, that you are freeing us all the more of any kind of fear and discouragement and heaviness and giving us fresh mission in our lives. We're so thankful. Amen. Amen. Can we give the Covells and God a big thank you for today?